episode of the Raman Tech Podcast with your hosts Sue and Paul. Today's subject is about music or music um, and what's happened to the music business. I've always been interested in music, not just rock, but pretty much anything with the exception of perhaps country and western. And even then the likes of Zach Brown Band have found their way into my music collection. I've been involved with bands in the recording industry for many years, uh, on and off, and uh, it, I hold it very dear to my heart. When other people in my business classes at college were writing about the impacts of the Channel Tunnel on, Engli- on the English economy, I was writing about the burgeoning music industry and its impact on society. Is it just nostalgia kicking in, or has the industry lost the romance and, dare I say, magic that it used to hold? Good afternoon, Susan. What's your earliest music-related memory? Um, well, as you know, I grew up in a very music-related yep. family. Mm. Um, so there was always new records being bought, mainly by mum for dad um, for birthdays and Christmas. It was a, There was a lot of, um, I remember Mozart and Beethoven, uh, but also um, Dion Warwick um, and the likes of sort of her ilk, Ella Fitzgerald, um, mm-hmm. Louis Armstrong, yeah. um, Stan Getz, lots yeah. of that sort of thing. For me personally, um, the first record I ever hankered after was a Simon and Garfunkel one, which I got for Christmas one year. And I think when I got that, that was it. I felt like a grown-up. I had my own own record. Interesting, yeah. Um, My mum had, I mean, mum and dad had a record player, I remember, and I must have been only three or four because uh, of where we were living. Um, And mum had a record player, and I remember Guy Mitchell, Yes. Um, Peggy Lee. Oh, yes. yeah. Fever yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Uh, Patricia Clark yeah. uh, was a big one. Um, for me, there were actually two. Um, Elton John, Rocket Man. Oh, yeah. Um, was a big one. Um, and I forget if I can remember the other one now. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, Rocket Man um, oh, okay. had okay. A, a particular um, influence. So what's happening today? Uh, it all seems so rosy, and certainly if you look at the, re- the industry reporting, it all seems very rosy. Uh, according to the 2018 Global Music Report by the IFPI, which is the International Federation of the Phonographic Industry, which I've never heard of before, but anyway. I think there'd be a lot of people who haven't heard of what <laughs> <a> phonograph is. <laughs> yeah, true. The global music industry or the market grew by 9.7% in 2018, um, the f- fourth consecutive year of growth and figures released in the report, the 2019 report, show revenues for 2018 were $19.1 billion US. Streaming revenue grew by 34% and accounted for almost half, 47% of the global revenue, revenue, driven by a 32.9% increase in paid subscription services. There were 255 million users for paid streaming services at the end of 2018 and accounted for 37% of the total new recorded music revenue. Growth in streaming more than offset the 10.1% decline in physical revenue and a 21.2% decline in downloaded revenue. So what that means is that people, whereas they used to buy music on iTunes and things like that, that 
21% decline year on year is enormous. Um, So people are not buying music anymore. They're buying a subscription service and then listening to whatever they want. So So Spotify or... Are there others? Yeah, there's Amazon. um, Apple Music is actually a streamed service now. You pay a monthly fee for that. And there are other kinds of streamed streaming services. Um, There's Epidemic Sound, Music Bed, Artlist... Um, and they are streaming, so well, they're not streaming services, but they're music licensing services. So, with the increase of p- number of people who are having YouTube channels and podcasts and things like that, where you use music, we use music um, as, an and, as an intro yeah. and an outro, and we paid a royalty for for that, or yeah. we paid a license fee for that from Half Music. Um, and um, and that gives us the opportunity. But you can buy a subscription service. So if you're doing a YouTube video uh, channel and you want music in your videos, um, then you just pay a monthly fee and uh, you pick from their list of thousands of, mm-hmm. of royalty-free music yeah. um, that you, you can then use on your videos in perpetuity. Um, you just can't add new ones after you let your subscription lapse, but any yep. previous ones that you've made um, while you're subscribed are covered. Okay. Um, yeah, okay. so there's that music as well, which kind of slips under the radar. It's kind of like because there's lots of people making movies and making YouTube and making podcasts that are using music, and that that's all included yeah, so in, it's in not this music that people recognise as being a. Ch- a, a tune that they'll have heard on a an or, album or yeah something. or radio or, or yeah. from a known artist yeah. or whatever uh-huh. and they, and some of it you can listen to on Spotify. I mean the artists who produce music for the likes of Epidemic Sound actually have Spotify playlists, so yeah. you can go and listen to the whole album of music, whereas people are only using fifteen or twenty seconds, like we we do mm. um, yeah. for music. So so it's all kind of interesting and, and it sounds really positive. It sounds. Everything sounds like you know the music industry is growing and 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 you know it's a year on year increase, but I I'll, I'll come back to the point I'm trying to make I guess. So according to um, USA Today, yeah, disturbing new music industry statistic claims that artists only got twelve percent of the forty three billion the industry generated in twenty seventeen. So I'm not quite sure where USA Today got their figures because the IFPI reckons that the uh, the market's only worth what fourteen billion or something, nineteen point one billion. So they're saying forty three billion. So I'm not sure. And it was a Citigroup report published in twenty eighteen. So according to that report, the industry's forty three billion dollar year was its most profitable since two thousand and six. In Australia, a PwC report that the market is something similar expects a three percent increase in revenues between twenty nineteen and twenty twenty three which is represented as a 2.9% increase in live music, 4.9% increase in digital revenues, but a 14.4% reduction in physical music sales, LP, CD, DVD. And the American RIAA reports that the music streaming economy represents myriad new opportunities, but is also its share of challenges too. According to Nielsen, more than 70,000 different albums were released by mid-year 2019. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, so, I, I, I can't so, even conceive of buying an album these days. Well, and, but the point being that 70,000 compilations or, or creations of album music, albums worth of music, was created. Okay. So most of that goes on streaming services, yeah, right? Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. 
So we're getting to the point that I'm 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 going to get there. I promise, I promise, I'm going to get there. It's a it's a long and winding road. It is. We'll get there. So in 2016, Andrew McAfee and Eric Brynjolfsson did a TED talk, which centered around their book called um, "The Rise of the Machine Age." Yeah. And in there, the Brynjolfsson waxed eloquent about the billions of dollars worth of free or next to free services that the average person can access thanks to digital. Thanks to the technology, online yeah. technologies, and he meant things like um, translation services. I mean, we used to pay a lot of people used to pay a lot of money to have a translator on. Now you can use Google Translate yes. and get a not. And I do. Yeah, me yeah. too. Maybe not a perfect translation. Yeah. Um, and even three years later, it's still not brilliant. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not perfect, but it's good enough. You yeah. know. In fact, people go overseas with their phone. And Google Translate and have somebody talk into it, have it translated into English so that they can rec- realise what's being said, speak into the phone and then have it talk to the person. Yep. So it kind, of, it kind of works. So the problem I have, and here we go, here's the point. Here is the purpose of today's talk. Ta-da! Ta-da! Yeah, there. The problem I have with all this is that whilst all the talk is about increases of volume yeah. of music, it's treating music as a commodity um, rather than increase in music as an art form. Yep. And they're two very different things. So when you think about a commodity, you kind of think of iron ore or coal or crops, undifferentiated. It's just like an amorphous mass of, well, this is a product, even coffee. I mean, I know you get lots of different blends of coffee and you get different lots of different types of coffee and you put those things together to create a blend. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, coffee is coffee. You know, if you want a Robusta and an Arabica um, and, and an Exotic, then, then, you know, which ones of those come down to taste, not down to a specific mm-hmm. type as such or where a, a specific farm um, or plantation? And my fear, and and I don't know if this is nostalgia kicking in or what, but my fear is that music has become a commodity. Okay. So and it's lost its position as an art form. And I can understand, knowing you, why that would concern you. And whilst you're likening it to the coffee industry, mm. I'm likening it, in my mind, to the difference between couture and today's raft of disposable fast fashion yes disposable that's the point ends up being trash Mm -hmm. um after three wears nobody wants it yeah um and one is an art form and the other is a commodity yeah yeah so how did this start so i'm i'm uh, a child of the seventies, essentially. I mean, I grew up in the sixties, I suppose, because uh, but, but, because I was born in the fifties. I was going to so, say, yeah, I yeah. think you're flattering. Yourself. I was going, okay, thanks very much. <laughs> um, but I was born in the fifties. I don't know that makes me a child of the sixties or whatever yeah. it does. But anyway, I think you're uh, a child of the sixties. Yeah, I think you're right. Teenager of the seventies. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, that's the, and that's the formative years. So that's why I'm struggling because you could say, well, I was you're just a jelly bean. In the in the sixties, and you're more of a person in the seventies. But anyway, we make up your own minds. Um, so what happened to me? For me, for me, what, 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 when? How did this problem start, and and how have we got to here? And what has led me to believe that that music has lost its gloss and it's 
importance and, and its relevance. So for me, it was the, the start of it was the LP. When we lost the LP, not so much to the cassette because um, the cassette was more of a convenience add-on to the LP. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, to have both. Correct, yeah, yeah. So but the CD was probably the beginning of the end. So I don't know if you recall, certainly maybe maybe it wasn't like that here in Australia, but in the UK in the late 60s, early 70s, if you wanted to buy an you held out for an album that was coming. You read The Melody Maker or you read The um, Enemy. Enemy, thank you, New Music Express, and you read those, you saw what was coming, the release dates were kind of like movies, yeah. it's going to be released on this date and... And people would queue outside of music stores mm-hmm. to look at the album cover, to listen. You used to, there used to be listening booths and you would go and you would yeah, sit in your yeah. listening booth and they'd play all the tracks on side one and then they'd skip through 30 seconds on each of side two. Mm-hmm. And because it was relatively expensive to buy an LP, Singles market was really big accordingly because it was so much cheaper than you know, pound for pound. It was more expensive to buy singles, but but you could buy more singles because you could afford to buy them. But an album you had to kind of have to save up for. But when so when you did buy it, you'd scrutinize the cover. All oh, the li- I, re- I read every word. You read all the <laughs> lyrics, you you understood it, but you gave it more than 30 seconds. In fact, you gave it more than one listen because it was such a big investment yeah. that you couldn't afford to just take a cursory, cursory glance at it and deem whether it was good or bad. You, you, no, I'm missing something here. I've spent so much money on this and I like this artist so much that I'm going to give it another listen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to understand what the artist was trying to say or where they were coming from or what's hidden in that lyric or... You you would scrutinize the cover because it would oh it was artwork give you, it was artwork and it would give you I mean if you look at the Roger Roger Dean stuff that were, and, and hypnosis on um, uh, for the Pink Floyd stuff these guys were as much superstars as the artists the recording artists for whom I mean yep. Roger Dean is infamous or famous for his for his, particularly for his Yes albums mm-hmm. Yes album covers and uh, but you gleaned every it was like a it was like a mystery that you had to uncover. You wanted to know what the lyrics meant. You wanted to know what the artist was trying to say. You looked at the cover and tried to see if there was anything in the cover that would give you more clues to what the album was about, whether it was a concept album or whether it was a collection of songs. Mm-hmm. We look at Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy by Elton John and what was that the book that the kids had? Oh, Animalia. Animalia, that's yeah. it. Thank you. And the album cover on Captain Fantastic was kind of like that. Oh, okay. Where all of the songs were depicted in the cover, but mm-hmm. you kind of had to see the clues and read the lyrics and listen to Elton John sing yeah. them. And So for me, when we lost the LP to the CD, really, I mean, in, in retrospect, that was when we started losing Losing the business. Okay, can I just take one step back? Sure. So I saw growing up, and I know it would be true in England because to have a number one at Christmas is every artist's dream. Yeah. But the singles market here in Australia 
was, I think, the driving force behind yep. it. So I don't remember me or any of my friends, and I might have been a bit younger for that, lining up to buy or try an album. No, okay. But the singles market was huge. Mm. So you would go to Harlequin Records yep. every week. I can't remember what day it was. I think it was a Thursday when the singles chart came out. Yep. And it would come out on a, like almost like a special brochure and it would be the top 20. Yep. And it would have a different picture and, and they would all be a different colour. And I remember that the more you had of those the more it seemed like you were into music. Yeah. But it was really very important. And I think until I sort of hit round about 16 or 17, that was more important than the album market. Yeah. Then when we got old enough to be at parties, an album was better because you put that on. At least you got 20 was, minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whereas singles were just a pain yeah. in the neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it was, uh, but I think that was driven by 4IP, which was yeah. the radio station to be listening yeah. to if you wanted to hear the top hits. Yeah, in the UK it was very much um, uh, Top of the Pops, yes. obviously. Um, everyone hung out for Top of the Pops. I think for years it was one of the highest rated television programs, mm -hmm. but it was because you could see the artists who were performing. And the radio station was Radio 1 Yeah, because it was yeah. national, mm -hmm. you know, because the, you know, the way the UK is. So everyone heard the same thing. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you had the you know, Capital Radio and you had Caroline and Luxembourg and, you know, the pirate radio stations mm -hmm. and they played more contemporary kind of stuff. Yeah. So, um, so I mean, it, it is interesting. But, they, I mean, they were superstars. And, and when you got artists from more than one genre coming together, that became a super group, you know. I mean, the super group thing was for a while in the 80s, 70s, 80s, when you think of the Travelling Wilburys, yeah. for example. I mean, is this just baby boomerous nostalgia kicking in? Oh, you know, they don't do it like they used to do it. But it actually seems to me that the last, really the last bands that were held people in awe almost were the likes of the Foo Fighters mm -hmm. and Coldplay, bands that you were actual bands. I mean, sure, sure, solo artists are another thing. And I'm not saying there's not talent out there because clearly if 70,000 albums were released yeah. by mid-year 2019, then clearly there's a lot of talented people out there producing music. Mm -hmm. Is and that all albums that are being produced by a record studio no. or a label? No. Or is that some people doing it in their Well, that's what most home? people do now. Most people do it themselves and that's why it's become a commodity. Yeah. And streaming services have made it so that you don't necessarily need a distribution company or a, or a, um, a recording company to, uh, push, your to push your work because you put it on a streaming service and then they use social media to promote yeah, it yeah. and then word of mouth is presumably takes over from there. The interesting thing is though that, I mean, and, and I mean that's another point is the quality of recording i mean whilst digital technologies and and recording systems are, are brilliant if you listen to even product out before our time the, there's no comparison to the analog recording and the current digital recording there's there's no comparison in terms of quality i remember listening to well kind of blue by miles davis which was produced in 1957 
is a phenomenal recording. Mm-hmm. Like if you listen to that with headphones on, it sounds like they're there in the room with yeah. you. It is intimate. It, it, everything is, the clarity is unbelievable. And the, the dynamic range of the recording is, is phenomenal. Yeah. Even digitally, it's phenomenal. And then if you listen to it, I'm not that I, we have a record player or anything like that these days. I mean, they went years ago. So I'm part of the problem, not part of the solution necessarily. But it blows me away that, that the quality of those recordings, the ones made in R- at RCA, for example, in the late 50s, uh, if you haven't heard them, you wouldn't know how, fan- how what a difference there is no. to what they what was recorded on tape and what is recorded today. Albums that, that regularly get referenced as all-time reference material, anything comes out that pretty much comes out of Abbey Road. Abbey Road. Road. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought um, it was only time before yeah, yeah, Abbey yeah, Road yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, um, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. Yes. Half of the Beatles albums or, you know, came out of Abbey Road. Maybe not half, but, but certainly a significant proportion of, uh, of those albums. What's the point of this? The point is that if you were spending a lot of money going to a top recording studio, uh-huh. you better make sure the product was good. Whereas today, if you can do it in your bedroom yeah. and you can get – 80% of the quality when you can record it yourself and master it yourself and produce it yourself and, and put it up onto a streaming service just because you can do it quickly and you can turn out quantity rather than necessarily quality, does that mean, is that why music's becoming a commodity? Well, Because it's too accessible, okay. it's too easy to produce and you can put anything up there without the scrutiny maybe yeah. of a professional or somebody else sitting over your shoulder. Yeah, so you're talking about it from the push side. Mm. From the pull side, so we've got this problem in society today where people aren't making really great connections because they're talking to somebody um, with the, with their phone buzzing in their pocket and then they bring it out halfway through a conversation. Yeah. Is it the same with music that people just have it going in the background or it's on in the car, which is always going to be poor yep. quality? Um, and they don't take the time to actually sit and listen and experience what it was that the artist wanted them to be part of, which when you talk about your um, your Pink Floyds and your Led Zeppelins and the Beatles, that was an absolute experience. Experience, yes, yeah. To sit and listen. And I can understand why some of the psychedelics that were around in the 60s enhanced that experience for mm-hmm. people that they really did get immersed in the music. Yeah. I don't know that people get immersed in the music anymore. Well, I think, and I think that's the, that's the no, and I think that's the point. That there's, there are a number of factors. I mean, certainly people congregated to listen to that, but the reason they congregated was because they couldn't all afford to buy the album. Because they were so expensive and they represented such a large proportion of your income that if each of ten people bought one different album, then you've got ten separate experiences. Yeah. So you buy one album, I buy the other one and the other. And so and then you share them. Whereas today it's disposable. Yeah. Wow. If somebody doesn't like it, they'll flick the next button and they'll move yeah. on. And I don't give it chance to mature or to to understand what the artist was trying to say, yeah. I don't give it that chance that maybe you know 
a few decades ago, we did mm-hmm. because it was a big investment. It wasn't even just the album that was expensive. It was what you played it on. Yes, yeah. So mum and dad had what we called a radiogram. <laughs> it was the size of our kitchen island bench yeah. and it was made out of rosewood Yeah, and it had a radio and the record player. And the speakers. And the speakers. Yeah, yeah the speakers were enormous. They were nearly the size of a fridge yeah, sideways. Yeah. And then when I was in uh, in grade 12, I think it was, I had a job where I was able with discount mm. to buy a three-in-one. Yeah. Oh, people loved me going to their yeah. parties. Yeah, yeah, because you take it. Yeah. So it was a cassette yeah. player, yeah. record player and radio. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that they were huge investments. So it yeah. was not only the album that was... Yeah, it, but it was the well. That was the ongoing expense. Yeah. yeah, and the and yeah. the needles. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was a luxury item. Yep. That you wanted to put investment into, and as you say, the equipment as well. So the total package was a, a big investment. Today, you don't even have to buy no, something. You've right. got your phone. Yeah. You pay a fifteen dollars a month or you know twelve dollars a month subscription to a music service. And if you don't like the first 15 seconds, then why would you bother with it? Yeah. You know, so in actual fact, it seems that whilst the barriers to entry 40, 50 years ago into the music industry were enormous, uh-huh. I think volume hasn't made it any easier because how do you get your voice above the crowd? If yeah. there is so much to listen to and you have so little time to capture the imagination of the listener, how, you know, surely that's a worse problem to have than trying to get a record deal, you know, being one of a f- small group of people who actually made it back at the time, but people really were were engaged yes. in what you were producing. And and, and this co- I, th- that there's the core of what I consider to be the, the issue today is that, that is more better, is free or nearly free a better position to be in than actually having to pay a premium mm-hmm. you know um it's and then it's not to say there isn't talent out there i mean lady gaga a, a, an amazing talent yes. i mean taylor swift for her own genre um amazing there's a young english guy called jacob collier um who's a a, a youtube sensation and and an amazing artist mm-hmm. The talent is there. Yeah, yeah. There's no question the talent's there. I mean, you look at Martin Mullen, I think, or Wintergarten, anyway, the guy who's making the marble machine. Uh, you know, a young guy is not only creating an amazing <laughs> musical instrument that he's spent the last three years making, and if you don't know Wintergarten, go to the YouTube. I'll put a link in the show notes, but uh, go and look at the original uh, video and uh, and consider that Martin isn't that spent the last three years making a, a touring version of the marble machine. But he's not only designed it, he's also done the CAD drawings for it, he's making all the parts and building this machine that he's then going to take on a world tour. He's making his money through Patreon. If, you're, if you don't know what Patreon is, you should probably go and look at Jack Conti's um, video when you look at DVDs of concerts, mm-hmm. the age group that's watching the band is enormous. 
And also the kids, and I'm not talking teenagers, I'm talking the eight to ten-year-olds, know the lyrics to all these songs. So is that because they was the songs were so good, the production was so good, the investment that people have made into the music of these bands was so high that they were retained inside of the family. I mean, I've got a video, I've got DVD, I've got all the Rush DVDs or bar one, and the crowd, I mean, you see eight to ten-year-olds in Rush T-shirts and Rush jackets and patches and everything, and they're all singing, Mm -hmm. you know, singing along Mm. to... It's almost like it's within the consciousness of their family. Exactly, exactly. And But is that because the music quality was greater? Is that because... There was there were fewer bands, and the ones that existed counted for more than they do today. I mean, seventy thousand albums in the first half of 2019. Yeah, yeah. Is how you're do you, blown you, away by well, that, you can't. Aren't you? I, well, I am. How do you, how do you even? Yeah. You can't even sample seventy thousand. You couldn't possibly sample one track from every artist. And get it done in six months. You couldn't do it. This is what I'm thinking, and I I came back to that bit about the consciousness within the family. Mm. We've never had a big collection of Queen albums. We loved Queen. Yeah. We've never seen Queen live. No. We when we took our children to see We Will Rock You, they knew all the words to all the songs. Yeah. How does that happen? Yeah, I don't that, know. That is that mega group consciousness that just appreciated great music, I think. Um, and But it was great music. It, Not great music because it, because it was our time, but great music just because it was great music and because it survived. Yeah. Look at all the Beatles. How, you know, who would have said that those funny guys from Liverpool would be almost as popular today as they were probably more popular today from, in terms of volume than, than they were in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, yeah. There was a genius there that it's hard to put your finger on. Yeah. Was, it, was it just an amalgam of amazing personalities and music styles? Was it great writing? Was it great recording at Abbey Road? Mm. Was it just that they were the first of what they did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, could it just be that they were the first in terms of what they did? You know, just like Miles Davis was the first of his kind and, mm. and John Coltrane of his time and, and Elvis of yeah. his time and yeah. Bill Haley, you know. Yeah. Were they just the first? And and was is that why, I mean, ABBA, you know, I mean, we never bought an Alba album. I can't. No. I don't think we ever had an Alba album. I probably know the lyrics to nearly all the nearly songs. All the songs. You Certainly would. all the singles. So everything that they got to number one with, mm-hmm. I would know the lyrics. Probably if it was playing, I could sing along to There's it. There's been movies built on. Well, it. I mean, Mamma Mia, for example. <laughs> but yeah, but but, uh, but apparently, you go to the movies and you watch Mamma Mia, and all the all of the little kids are singing yeah. along. Yeah. So. Why is that and why is it that, that uh, outside of maybe the odd Ed Sheeran song or the odd Adele song or the odd 
Katy Perry song where you might know the chorus, mm-hmm. is it just not backward compatible? I mean, do the kids learn all of the lyrics to all of the songs regardless of the time that they were produced and we're just, as old, as old dudes, we're just too lazy to learn the lyrics of the new stuff? Is it, is it just a no backward compatibility or is the music just not as thoughtful? Is, is it, is it just it, too much? Is it, or is it, or is it one that... Are we just drowning in yes, and that's, 70,000 yeah, albums, albums in, in six months? In yeah. six months. Yeah, and yeah. That, we're back to my point. Yeah. It, is music now a commodity and because of the volume of it and because it's so easy to produce and easy to publish and easy to, and easy to, and easy to discard, Disc- yeah. has it lost its value as an art form? And is it just a commodity? Is it all now music, like elevator music, or is it is it still an art form? And I I can't tell you. I, and yet I, our lives and our hearts and our consciousness would be a sadder without it. Without yeah. it. Yeah. 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 I don't. And, and I don't know. I don't, I just know I feel lost. Yeah. About it. Yeah. Just because something is more accessible, have we lost the mastery and the craftsmanship? I mean, probably there'd be artists out there that would be arguing like crazy that uh, how dare you, you know, try and produce something yourself if you're so good. But when you, when, and I don't think it's just nostalgia. I, I really do think that, that, that we're, we're actually at a crisis, even though the market, and, the, and again, the figures, and I come back to my original point, just because the market is growing, just because the, the numbers are up and the, and the you know, artists are making 12% of a much bigger pie doesn't mean that it's good for the business. No, no. You know, numbers aren't everything. No, no, I think there's something lost. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the rot set in after the the death of the LP, but streaming has made it exponentially worse, Mm. you know. Mm. I guess there's there's no answer to this. It'll be interesting to see where the music industry goes. Yeah, yeah, it will. Because you can't return to what it was because the music companies held too much power and artists really did get probably less than the 12% that they're getting now. I imagine they got significantly less, mm-hmm. but the quality was so much better. And actually when you hear Robert Plant and Jimmy Page talk about Amit Ertigan, who was the president of Atlantic Records, he talks about him with such affection that it, it can't have been all bad. Yeah. 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 So Actually, just talking about Robert Plant, I have to remind you about the amazing experience that we had when we went to see Robert Plant as himself um in Brighton yeah the big log tour worst con- one of the worst concerts we've ever been to because one of the loudest so loud yeah. yeah it was too loud yeah. it hurt. yes it did um and it was uncomfortable but everybody left thinking it was finished and you and I were on our way out I wanted to go down and look front, at the mixing the, desk the we went door, and we went down and, and he, he came, came back, and, back on stage. And we were we right at the front. We were, we were, what, 10 feet away yeah, from him or yeah, something. It was amazing. Yeah, he came back for a third or fourth encore or yeah, something. Yeah. I wanted to go down and look at the desk, so they just let us into the into the, the, into the standing area because we were up in the stalls. Yeah. And, uh, and it yeah. just turned a 
poor poor experience. It was into, so loud. Into a brilliant experience. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very intimate. There were only maybe a hundred yeah. people left in the venue because yeah. they all thought he'd finished. And uh, he came on for a third encore and there was nobody left and he still did it. Very special. Yeah, yeah. 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 Will we ever see the likes of it again? I hope so, but I I think it's gone. I I think uh, it's interesting when you look back at it, it really has been, it was the thin end of the wedge. When you think of music in, going back even further, you think of the Beethoven's, Mozart's, Liszt, Mendelssohn's, you know, as you go through from the... So you go through from the, the 17th century through to the early 19th century, mm-hmm. they were superstars mm-hmm. and they were a rare breed. Yes. You know, I'm sure you had chamber orchestras and you had you know, musicians and, and minstrels and if you go back far enough. But there were only very few. Mm-hmm. But there weren't that many composers and there weren't that many people played at home for their own pleasure, but there weren't that many concerts. And the one when there were big concerts, the those composers were absolute stars. Yeah. And then you get through into the twenties, and it starts getting a bit bigger. And you got the jazz bands, and you got the the, you know, the clubs, and and the speakeasies, and 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 it, and there were more and more bands. But it was still a relatively small, tight community. It was not something everybody did professionally. It was just a small number. And then as you get into the 60s and 70s, still a relatively small number given the population and everything, but but it was still you were it was you had to have significant talent and there were still relatively low numbers. And even when you get into the 70s, 80s, and 90s, you could almost count the number of bands that there were that were worthwhile listening to at mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. You know? Then you hit the 2000s and you, you get digital audio workstations, um, and you get home production. But the tipping point has been the combination of the digital audio workstation, home production, and then the streaming service where anybody can publish. Yeah, yeah. It's not just our age group. If you look back, then the wedge gets thinner as you go back in time. Mm-hmm. But as you move forward, the wedge is getting wider and wider and wider so the quality maybe quality is on a on a on a coefficient compared to the the volume that's you know it's the whole thing isn't it it's quality yeah. over quantity yeah it is it is and and that's not to say that there isn't quality no. in terms of musicality or mm-hmm. people's voices or the way they play a guitar yeah. or or yeah, drums or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's watch just, watch Jacob Collier. Yeah, I mean, unbelievable. Uh, yeah, you know. But it's not so memorable these days because it's so disposable. Yeah, it's almost like panning for gold. Yeah. Whereas the record companies used to do the panning for you, and you kind of got stuck with what with the nuggets that they found. Yeah. Now you've got to pan through. You've got to sift through a lot of. Yeah. chaff to find the wheat yeah you know you've yeah. got to you've got to pan the stream to find those nuggets of gold that are nuggets for you mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting but it's also competing the music's competing with um podcasts and audiobooks and those sorts of things as yeah well. i mean you know you could argue you could argue the same you know is podcasting the death of radio and does that mean it's better 
than you know the radio programs of the past yeah. you know yeah i mean reporting even i mean if you look at blogs and i mean podcasting is really just reporting in a lot of ways although we report opinion as opposed to i mean try and make it as factual as possible but but at the end of the day we're just publishing opinion yeah um as opposed to unbiased mm. reporting yeah and let's not even go there because of today's news tends to be very biased yeah it does and it also tends to be poor quality yeah. as though as does the writing in yes. in but again is that because there's so much yeah. that to compete the quality quantity becomes less of quality yeah. or quality becomes quantity yeah just because you can doesn't necessarily mean you should <laughs> and with that and you don't want me to sing and with that, that <laughs> and with that we might uh, we might call a close to this one. So uh, thanks for listening. Um, we hope we've had some found some interest in in this. Um, we look forward to your company on the next one. Thank you. A life without music is a life without soul. Yes, indeed. Bye now. Bye. For further information on the books and resources mentioned in this episode. Go to our website, wineontap.com.